Good morning. Thanks for being here this morning at HBF. It is good to see you. And uh, it is good to be back. Uh, last week, uh, ended up going up to Monmouth. It was a great trip. You'll be hearing a little bit more about that at the end. I appreciate Pastor Randy jumping in and filling in for me. Uh, obviously, I wasn't initially scheduled for that, uh, but we were blessed to be able to go, and uh, it was a great opportunity for me and my family. If you're joining us online, that we're, we're so glad that you're with us this morning, and I pray that you're encouraged in the Lord. Uh, we are glad to have you here. I know COVID is ramping up a little bit, and so uh, obviously uh, good to see the folks that are back in the, in the back with the masks and uh, and so on and so forth. So continue to be careful, and I, I appreciate you all doing the social distancing and all of those things. It's uh, If you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue our our study uh, in addicted, uh, addict being, uh, on ad- being addicted to ministry or addicted to misery, right? Anybody want to be addicted to misery? I don't want to. I think there's a lot of people today that are, are in that situation right now, and, and God forbid that that would be us. We, wanna, we don't want to be addicted to misery. Uh, but I'll tell you, one of the things that will help is to be addicted to ministry. And so it's such a good thing uh, to be uh, in the will of God. And so, uh, again, it is, it's, been a, it's been a good series that we've had in the Heart Issues sermon series. This really brings us to an end of this study. And then we'll be moving to the book of Malachi. And so, uh, and then we'll be, after that, going to the book of 1 John. So I'm excited about what God has before us. But before we jump to all of that, I want to just finish off this subject of being addicted to ministry or addicted to misery out of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, we've already been through a portion of this study, and we've talked about the, the attributes of those addicted to, min, to the ministry of the saints uh, based on the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So I want to just review that verse. It's on the screen. It says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. That's as far as I was able to get a couple weeks ago when we were into this session. And so uh, just by way of review, I want to just show you uh, or remind you of what we talked about regarding the attributes of those addicted to the ministry of the saints. And um, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where it says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. What we see is that ministry addicts, um, well, they're good shepherds. Uh, it's important uh, that the attributes of a shepherd or of, a, of a, someone that's addicted to the ministry are that of a shepherd. The shepherds, uh, although they're not, they don't have a lot of notoriety and they're off in the off scourge of society, uh, they have all of those tendencies to watch, right, to be vigilant and to stand fast and be faithful with what they're entrusted with, to, uh, to be men and be strong. So we talked about that, and there was a lot of things that we talked about, but primarily the aspect of shepherding is watching. But that's also similar to, the, to what a, a ministry addict needs to be. They're also a good soldier, right? So we saw that ministry addicts are good soldiers. Uh, they're not just good shepherds, they're good soldiers, and they also, soldiers also wa- watch, right? They have to watch and blow the trumpet, they have to stand watch, uh, even to this day. Uh, they're to be vigilant, to be sober, to, to be firm in their stance, uh, and we talked about what it means to quit like men. They need to be prepared uh, for the day of battle, and they need to be strong as well. And then we, the last thing that we talked about was ministry addicts um, are good sacrifices. They, they are, um, you know, they are sacrificial in their living. And, uh, and that's part of the deal. Uh, they give their life for others. And so, and so we're excited about moving on to the next point this morning, which is the, the actions of those addicted to the ministry of the saints. Before we do that, though, I just want to read the text once again and refresh ourselves on that. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 13 and read down through verse 18. And I know some of you can't stand, um, I mean, physically, so don't. But if you can, let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read the Word of God and we continue on through these next couple points regarding what it is to be addicted to the ministry so that we're not addicted to misery. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, the Bible says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints." that you submit yourselves unto such, and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you that there are so many people that are such in my midst this morning. I thank you for the faithfulness of your church. I thank you for those that are, that are watchful, that are stand fast, that are prepared 
uh, Lord, that are strong in the faith. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that are watching online. I thank you for all that are gathered in the house this morning. And I pray a special blessing upon the reading and the hearing and the application of your word this morning. Thank you so much for gathering us together. Thank you for this last song that we sang. I love that song. I love the groove, but I also love the lyrics. It's a great tune. And Lord, I just want to praise you and thank you and give you the honor and praise this morning. I pray, God, your word would go forth and accomplish its purposes for your honor, for your glory, uh, for your kingdom. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I do love that song. That's a good tune. Uh, I, I'm glad that James is, threw that in the mix. So this morning, as we talk about the actions of those addicted to the ministry of the saints, uh, it's important that we consider verse, verses uh, 14 now. I'm going to move on just a little bit further down, and we're going to look at verse 14, where it says, Let all your things be done with charity. And if you've got a sheet, uh, the fill in the blank there is charity. And let me see, are you guys, okay, you got it up there. So, so the, 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 it's important that we, um, that we have a tender heart, right? And the, the tender heart of those that are addicted to the ministry is revealed in all that they do. Their tender heart uh, is revealed in all that they do. People that are addicted to the ministry are, are pretty transparent. And you can see that their heart is revealed in all they do. Charity is what really edifies or builds the body of Christ. That's what the word edify means. And in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, the Apostle Paul says, uh, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Now, knowledge isn't bad. You need to have knowledge. But with that getting, right, you've got to have virtue. You've got you to have the character associated with the knowledge. Otherwise, you can carry knowledge, and you'll get top-heavy. You'll get puffed up, and you'll, you'll trip and fall, right? So you've got to have it working out into your feet so you have a good base for the knowledge that you carry. Because you can get all kinds of information up in your cranium, but you'll get a fat potato head, and then you'll fall over, right? So you've you got to work it down into the loins of your mind, and into the feet, and go ye therefore with the gospel. That's why the mission of God is to, to really take what you know about Jesus uh, and take it out to the world. Uh, his character, his person, your relationship with him needs to be given out to other people because that's the hope of the world. I'm not the hope of the world. You're not the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And then we live in a world right now that needs some hope. And so people that are addicted to ministry, they kind of manifest the hope. They, they just It's kind of self-evident. These people love God, and, and it's known of them. And so, and so we need to make sure that, that uh, charity is part of that because it's the love that we offer to others. Charity is another word for love in the Bible. And, and, and of course, you know, a lot of people take out the word charity. By the way, in New Translations, they put love. But I like charity because when you think of charity, what do you think of? Well, you, you think of giving, right? You think of giving to, to charity. It's associated with action. It's like, it's like a... It's, it's, it's love with action, right? You're doing something. With, you're not just saying, I love you. You're actually manifesting love. And so, uh, so you know, that's what, that's what the people that are addicted to ministry, they manifest the love of Christ. So Paul was writing this epistle to a church body that was fractured. I don't know how much you know about the, the church at Corinth, but they had, Paul used the word schism, right? They had these divisions going on in the body. They were fractured up. And so they had people that wanted to be over here in this group and people that wanted to be over here in that group. And man, this church, a few years ago, we were fractured. It was like that, and praise God, God's cleaned all that up. But that is not healthy. That is unhealthy. And so Paul's dealing with this unhealthy Corinthian church, and they were fractured, divided over who baptized who, divided over disputes that they couldn't settle among themselves, they ended up taken to the, law, to the law and the lawyers in the church. Uh, instead of being able to forgive one another and, and work out their own problems in light of the word of God, they had to go to the, to the lost. And Paul's like, man, that is such a reproach. Um, they were divided over how they even observed the Lord's Supper, how they did the ordinances. It was, 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 under, you know, uh, was under so much scrutiny and, and tension. It just was unhealthy. Have you ever been in an environment like that where it's just unhealthy? It's carnal. It's disgusting, man. And, uh, and I hate it when it gets like that. But that's because the people got to—they got to have a heart for Jesus, right? You can have all the knowledge you want, but if your heart isn't right, it's going to affect everyone else around you. So ministry addicts—you know—something you note know about them is they're charitable, right? They're charitable, and and they're they're building the body, not tearing it down. They're bodybuilders, man. They're pumping up the body. They're building the body. They're not—they're not trying to destroy the body. And you know, by, basically, why do? Just let me get real practical. When you see somebody tearing down the body, you know what they're doing? Or what they're attempting to do is they're trying to build themselves up. They haven't figured the thing out yet. 
that in Christ, man, your life is hid in Christ. You don't need to exalt yourself. You need to exalt the Lord. When you start exalting the Lord and instead of trying to exalt yourself, man, it really makes things a lot smoother. And you'll find there's a lot more peace in the valley. So if you're one of those folks that likes to tear things up all the time in relationships, because you, if you do it at church, you're going to do it at home. You're going to do it at work. You're going to be doing it everywhere. And you're going to wonder why you're alone. Well, stop. Stop it. Right? Humble yourself under the hand of God and start to exalt Him and put Him first. And you'll find out all these other relationships will start to, you'll have a lot more, uh, the, the lubrication of the Holy Spirit of God, if you're saved, will start to, to just kind of work through all the relationships and things will get a lot healthier. And so, amen. So, uh, so the ministry addicts, they're charitable. Paul calls charity the bond of perfectness in Colossians. When, a, when the body or a family or even a country is fractured, we need to see charity on display to heal the wounds and repair the breaches. It's not enough just to like know that charity is necessary. You've got to actually have servants. That's what a minister is, someone who serves. You have to have people willing to go serve and love people, right? People that don't love them even. Right? You've got to have servants. And so above all these things, Paul says in Colossians 3.14, put on charity, which is the bond, right? It's the, it's the glue of perfectness, of completion, and of wholeness. This year we're talking about wholeness in holiness. You know, so oftentimes we want to run from God's holiness because, well, I mean, obviously God's holy. We have the Spirit of God. We have the advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're lost this morning, it is scary to be in the presence of God because, well, he's holy and you're not, and you need Jesus as your advocate and your propitiation to, to, reconcile, you to, him, to reconcile you to him. He will ease your fears when you receive the gift of eternal life. But once you've received the gift of eternal life, man, you are whole in Christ. And so wholeness and holiness is what we've been talking about this year, and, and not a false sense of like legalism and, and external standards, but an inward man of the heart that's equipped, that's that's got a, a love for God that manifests itself. That's what, a, that's what someone addicted to the ministry is manifesting. So we're not perfect or complete uh, without charity. And marriage, a family, a nation will not be healed without charity. And so Paul wrote to this, this church uh, in 1 Corinthians, just a few chapters back in verse 8. And he says, Charity never faileth. And, it's the whole, and I'm not going to read it. You could go back if you want a little extra reading assignment today. Go back and just read that whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And it deals with charity and all the attributes of it. It's a beautiful uh, chapter. I wish I had more time to get into that. But one of the things that Paul says in that chapter is charity never faileth. And I often say that. You'll hear me say charity never fails. Charity never fails. It's like a mantra. I tell myself that all the time because I have to be reminded of that. Charity never fails. It's a secret weapon, man. It's, it's, it's the secret sauce, so to speak. I mean, but, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So Paul's telling them all these things that you're depending on uh, in the first century church. There's a historical context here. Uh, it's going to fade. God's going to give you the completed word of God by the end of the first century. They had the whole counsel of God's word. And, uh, and, and they needed to, 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 to observe that. But Paul's also saying... Um, you know what's going to hold you together, what's going to make you bound together and, and, and complete is the love of God, not just the knowledge that you're receiving. They were fighting over the knowledge. Who said what? Who was interpreting what for who? Uh, and what that interpretation, they were just, there was not any charity going on. And, and Paul's like, man, you need some charity. So sin addicts, they can try to disrupt, uh, sin, sin addicts can try to disrupt charity, but their efforts will ultimately fail. You see, not everybody's addicted to ministry. Some people are addicted to sin. And basically, that's all of us, by the way. Uh, we're all sin addicts. The only relief from being addicted to sin is Jesus and being born again. And even when we're born again, our flesh fights us every step of the way. Uh, and so the reality, though, is sin addicts, people who are addicted to sin, who have no peace, have no grace, have no liberty in Christ, have no freedom in the Spirit, are not walking in the Spirit. Um, man, I tell you what, they, by nature are going to be disrupting or trying to disrupt charity and the love of God. And Jude says, has some words about that. So, uh, you know, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. God wants to win us to himself. He, want, he has done everything he can to demonstrate his love. I mean, there is no greater love than this than a man give his life for his friend. But what do you do with Jesus who gave his life for his, his enemies, right? The people who, who hate him and despise him, including me, because I was enmity with God before I got saved. And I did do, I, did, I know this stuff so well because I've lived it, right? I know what it's like to, to work for the devil, and I know what it's like to switch teams and, 
find grace and mercy and now be on God's team. I mean, I want God's team. I don't want to go back to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't want to fight against God. But I used to, even when I didn't know why. Anybody been there? Man, I remember those days. I'm like, man, you need to come. You need to come with me. I need to influence you for evil. I didn't say it that in those terms, but I would try to do that stuff. And so I don't even, I didn't at the time really gra- gather why, uh, but it was because I was bound to sin. But one day Jesus came and clipped the cord to sin. And when I got saved, man, he put a new spirit in me called the Holy Spirit. And if you're born again, he did the same thing for you, and he lives in you. And it's awesome. So you're free. But the sinner's still bound to sin. They just can't get away from it. That's their nature. They're born that way. That's why little kids, you don't have to tell them, don't do that, Johnny. Or you don't have to tell them uh, how to sin. They automatically figure that out. And you're like, stop it, quit it, don't do that, don't hit your sister, you know, all that other stuff. They just do all that stuff by nature. And so in Jude, there's a warning. All right, God's love is so great. He wants to win us. His goodness leads us to repentance. It, it changes our heart and mind so we can receive the gift of eternal life. I hope, I hope there's many listening online, maybe even some in the room this morning. That's where you are today. You're, you're right at the precipice. We've had several people in the last several weeks trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Man, you need to get in the kingdom of God while you can. Today is the day of salvation. Get saved today if you can. If God's calling you, answer it, right? Uh, and so you need that. I can't help but plead for that because that is the most important thing for many people in our spheres of influence. Having said that, there are some who just simply will not uh, obey the call of God to d- obey the gospel. Literally, the word obey the gospel, that phrase is found in the New Testament as well. There comes a point in time when you clearly understand that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for your sin. You clearly get the fact that, that you are a sinner and you need to make a decision that only you can make, and that's to trust Him. If you don't, there is judgment coming. So I have to also warn those that will not submit to the Lord Jesus, right? I, I want everyone to be one, but there's also a warning. And, and that warning needs to be proclaimed as loudly as anything else in the, today because, man, there is a judgment that comes for rejecting the truth and not loving God because He loves us. In Jude 1, well, there's only one chapter, in verse 11, the, the Jude writes, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, for reward and perish in the gainsaying of Cory. Now, we'd have to go back in the Old Testament to look at Cain, uh, Balaam, and Cory, but uh, we could do that. I don't have time this morning to get into that. But all of these people were working against God's will directly, having known what God said and then worked against it. And today there are people that do that, uh, willingly, knowingly uh, do that. Well, God says, well, there's a judgment coming for you. These are, he says, spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. Carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead. Plucked up by the roots. Well, that that phrase, twice dead, is very interesting, right? Because uh, there is a second death. Most of us, and if we don't, until the, if the Lord doesn't come quickly, right, we may face death physically. And so you die once. But if you're born again, you're going to be born. That's it. You die once physically, but you're born again. You're born twice. You were born physically to this world, and then you're born again. That's your second birth. But if you're not born again, if you don't get a second birth, you got two deaths. You have the physical death, but then you also have the death at the end of Revelation called the second death when death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. And God forbid anybody find themselves there, but there's a warning. And that's what, that's what Jude is saying, is there, there are those that would even come to the church, to the congregation, to the, to the household of charity, right? Where charity should be on major display. That's what the, they used to criticize and malign the church for the love feast, the Lord's Supper, observing communion um, uh, in the first century. And you know what? People, that, it's a great thing to call it the love feast. And, and I'll tell you why, because Jude is saying there are people that, that aren't even scared of God. They'll come to the love feast and... Man, uh, they, they, they really are just spots in the feast of charity. They're working against God, wittingly working against God, without fear of God, and they think this whole thing's a joke. They think they're just going through the motions. And man, God's like, wait a minute. There's some serious regard here. These, these folks are like raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Whoa. That's what Jesus, I mean, that's what Jude said, not me. And I'm not like trying to scare anybody into heaven. 
But I tell you what, if that's the shoe that's fitting you, you should be scared. And you should do something about it because right now God's offering his love and his grace, his charity, his goodness. He wants you to, to, to leave that family and get into his family. So ministry addicts, find people who love God and they will show you how to know God the way they do because charity is obvious to all. It's just obvious. Uh, In John chapter 13 and verse 34, the Bible says, A new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, give I unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. And then he says this, it's really interesting in verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Well, Brian, I thought you said it's important that we love God and everybody will know it. That's true. The way everybody will know it is that there's love for one another. You know automatically when there's a lack of love in the body of Christ, when someone doesn't love their brother or sister, they can't, they can't defer their brother and sister, they can't give another brother or sister space, they're hypocritical, they're just, just, you know, they just, there's no grace there. Now, there's obviously times, you know, Paul and Barnabas had to go separate directions and stuff, but they didn't malign each other either. Uh, there's a, if there's a lack of charity there, they're not a disciple. doesn't mean they're not saved, but they're not following Christ. And so all men know that we're disciples because well, we have love one for another. And I, I'm glad I, I really right now I can preach this with such a clear conscience because I feel like that is Heartland right now. There's just a great charity going on right now. A few years ago, I don't think I could have preached this like I do right now because there was just, there's some nasty spirits, man. People were foul. You could smell it. It's like, whew, put your deodorant on. What do they need is a bath. We've got to have a bath in the water of God's word because we all get there. Now, I don't want to be holier than thou. Anyone ever wrestle with an attitude problem? Amen. If we, if we say that we don't, we might be a hypocrite here, all right? So what we got, how do we deal with our attitude? Well, see, people that are addicted to the ministry, they're addicted to the word of God. They're washing their mind in the water of the word. It's not that they're sinlessly perfect or they're better than you. They're probably worse. I'm an addict, man. I gotta, you can ask my wife. I'm not, I don't just get up here and say this. I've got to be in the Word every day, every day of my life. And if I don't, she can tell. She can tell if I'm not in the Word because I've got to wash my mind in the Word of God and my heart and my attitude. It'll get bad. It'll get foul. And so washing our, and renewing our mind is so important if we're going to be addicted. And when we are addicted to the ministry, when, we're, when, we're, when, we're, uh, when we have charity that comes from God, not out of ourselves, it's not our own nature it's the nature of god flowing through us it's the spirit of god man well you know that's just obvious it's just it doesn't you don't need anybody to it just you just know it all men know that you're following jesus because that doesn't come from you it comes from him charity and love are attributes noted among the mature believers in a number of passages in the new testament if i had time i could run you a whole nother study just on that topic and if we're becoming more like christ we are growing in charity the day you get saved, you aren't going to have that kind of charity necessarily. You can actually grow in that, right? You can grow because the more you know Christ, the more you can grow in charity. A couple of references I may have left in your notes is 1 Timothy 4.12 and 2 Timothy 2.22 and Titus 2 and verse 2. Now, those are not exclusive. There are many more references I could have put in. But just those three examples are mature men that Paul is encouraging to continue to grow in love and charity. Because ministers, uh, I have not arrived, just ask my wife, all right? I've not arrived in charity, right? There's, I still need more charity. I still can grow in charity. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 and verse 3, the Bible says, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. Isn't that true? Would you agree with that? Can you, you got people in your mind that you're like, you know, that's, that's true. They love God. Like I got a friend, his name's Sam Shockley. He loves God. I got lots of friends like that, but he's just one on top of my head. There's people in this church. Sharon DeLeon loves God. If people love God, it's just known. And a lot of you guys love God. I mean, we, hopefully we all get that testimony. But aren't there just certain saints that you just like, wow, man, they love God. They're just, they don't just love God. They're in love with God. I mean, God's just, man, it's just, why is that? Oftentimes, because you get the benefit of it. You can sense the love of God coming your way. <laughs> through those folks you're just like man they love god they're just when i'm around them i'm encouraged my cup is getting filled up i'm always man they just man they radiate jesus Woo! that's awesome i'm excited about that so charity it's obvious not just to people around it's also obvious to christ and that's the big deal 
You know God's looking out for that? You say, well, Brian, how do you know? Well, I'm glad you asked. Revelation chapter 2, the church of Thyatira. This is what happens. It says, and under the angel of the church of Thyatira, right? So he's doing his critique. He says, tell the church of Thyatira this. These things saith the Son of God, who, who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Go check out Revelation chapter 1, and you'll see what he's talking about there. Right? He, he can see clearly. I know thy works. I know what you're doing. But he also says, and, oh yeah, I know your charity, and service, and faith, and patience, and thy works, and the last will be more than the first. Thyatira, you got some things going on. They had a few things not going so well, but they had the charity going on. So point B, the tender heart is revealed in those, uh, in, I'm sorry, in, um, the tender heart is revealed in who they are, being ministers uh, of, uh, that are addicted. addicted ministry, those that are addicted to ministry have a tender heart that's revealed in who they are. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15, Paul goes on to say, I beseech you, brethren, and then in the parenthetical portion of that passage, he says, You know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, <clears throat> and that, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. So we see here the, the word addicted. That's what this whole you know, little sermon series is about, is this word addicted. This is where we find this word addicted, in the parenthetical section of 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15. So Paul identifies those who watch, stand fast in faith, quit like men, are prepared, and are strong in faith and charity with the house of Stephanus. He goes, folks like that that I've been talking about, well, here they are. Here's the house of Stephanus. Look no further. Uh, these, are the, these are the examples and the ensamples that I'm pointing you to. This was not just a man, Stephanus. This is the household that was addicted to the ministry of the saints. Stephanus had influence in his home. Right? He, w- he didn't just have influence at Corinth and Achaia. He had influence in his home, which was uh, mo- as important as everywhere else. And because of that, his whole household was serving the Lord. It's like seeing, uh, you know, I was thinking of Pastor Terry Ogle. Uh, some of you guys know T- Pastor Terry Ogle. He works with Pastor Randy and uh, in Word First, Pastor Bob uh, Hall in Word First. And uh, I-, I look at Terry Ogle's family. You know what they all do, every one of them? They work in the Bible publishing industry. You don't, I mean, they, their whole family is addicted to publishing the Bible. It's cool. They're, I remember watching them. They were little kiddos running around, you know, and, and Anita carrying them around back in the day. And now they're all adults having their own kids, and they're still addicted to the ministry. They're still addicted to assembling God's Word. It's pretty cool how God does that. And so it's obvious that his faith and faithfulness has impacted his, his household. Amen to that. So the first place the fruit should be felt is in our families. So do some inventory in your life. Is it radiating? Uh, is it following? Are people following Christ because you're following Christ? And, uh, and is, are, are people really seeing the fruit of the Spirit? And in case you're wondering, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The first thing mentioned in Galatians 5.22 is, is love, right? Love. But it isn't just love. It's joy. It's peace, it's long-suffering, it's gentleness, goodness, faith, it's meekness and temperance. Right? Those, are, those are the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It's not like, well, I'm going to have one and not the other. You're going to have it or you're not. And it really is an indication of who is in control of our life. Who's controlling Brian? Who's controlling you? If you can't really, if you can't, if your life isn't really reflecting love and joy and peace and long-suffering and and gentleness, goodness, faith, and uh, meekness and temperance, then, you know, a lot of those things start on the inside, but they work their way out, don't they, in how we deal with other people, being patient, being temperate, how we deal with ourselves, being good. So I was convicted by the Holy Ghost uh, this week as I was preparing for this because I allowed a dispute I was having with the city of Harrisonville uh, to uh, rob me of this testimony this week. So I was driving down the highway, talking about to somebody at the city about something and I was just I just I just couldn't take it anymore <laughs> so I'm like are you serious I won't get into the details but uh, it just seemed absurd to me and so unfortunately I wasn't very pastoral and uh, and the lady said you're not very professional and I'm like well who's your boss you know so I'm all ready to go I'm fired up and so 
I felt bad about that, and I went up later and, and told the lady that I apologized for acting like that because that really wasn't. I, I didn't tell her I was a pastor, but I was like, uh, I was like, I'm sorry. I got a little heated on the phone, and and then I still want to talk to your boss. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, my point in sharing that is, none of us bat a thousand. I don't want to put burdens on anybody you can't bear, right? We all we all fall. And, uh, but it's important that we're tenderhearted, right? That we, our heart is prepared. When you make a mistake, what do you do? First John 1, 9, you deal with it. You don't, you don't ignore it. Deal with it. And so, um, you have to deal with it. So we should submit ourselves to other people too, to humble servants. In 1 Corinthians sixteen sixteen, the Bible says, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us in labor. Paul's very specific. He's like, now folks like Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus, right? Achaicus. You need to submit yourself to those folks because it's very clear you're not doing a very good job on your own. These are the people you need to submit to. The people who manifest the fact that they're addicted to Jesus. They're addicted to the ministry. They're, they're servants in 1 Thessalonians 5, the Bible says in verse 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and, and be at peace among yourselves. That doesn't mean you have to agree for, with everything, every nuance. It means you can see some people's lives and you know, you're like, you know what, that person loves Jesus. I may not like the color of car they drive. I may not like the... Uh, you know, the clothing styles that they wear, but you know what? I'm going to submit to them. I'm going I, I, to honor them because I know they honor the Lord. It's not some external set of standards. It's a biblical standard. And you'll find if, you, if you'll do that and you'll put yourself in a situation, in situations to submit to people like that, your life will be so much better and so much richer. I remember when I went into shepherd school and ministry many years ago, I was 26 years old, and I went into one of the pastors and I was like, you know, you keep telling us, you know, Bible college, this and that, but, you know, uh, then you got your own Bible college. So, you know, which is it? Do I have to do all of this to be a preacher? Can the Spirit of God just anoint me and I can be a preacher? I'm already preaching. And uh, the pastor very wisely said, well, Brian, you don't have to do anything. I never went to Bible college, and I'm the pastor. He goes, but it's offered to you, so I would encourage you to take advantage of it. And he said exactly what I needed to hear. He gave me grace. He gave me wisdom. And then I took this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5. It it, it did something in my heart. I'm like, I want to get closer because we were in a big church. It wasn't a little church like this one. It was a big old church. And so you didn't really get up close to the pastors. You didn't know them. They didn't run around shaking your hands every day. They're kind of personalities, you know. And so, you know what that allowed me to do is get up close with them and watch their life. And uh, you know what? I didn't always like everything I saw. The closer I got to him, I really didn't always like what I saw. But I did apply this passage. I seen them very highly in love for their work's sake because there was no doubt about it. God's good hand was upon them. And so I honored them. And God, I believe God's honored me because I honored them. And where there was sin, in certain cases, God's made it manifest. And God took care of that, not me. It's not my place, right? You've got to learn how to stay in your lane. Right? That's what people who are addicted to the ministry do. They submit. It doesn't mean uh, everything one above you is submitting the way they ought to, but God's going to judge them. You stay in your lane and you do what you do. I was just talking with somebody about some friends in the ministry. I think it was at lunch yesterday. And, and just how God has... has uh, one time I was in ministry and, and uh, I was, we were doing this inner city ministry. It was fruitful. People were getting saved. But one day one of the pastors just shut it off. He just cut it off. He says, we got Rockhurst guys coming in now, and you guys can't do this inner city ministry because we need the gym. I was kind of like, whoa, okay. The junior high pastor over me, he was fired up, you know, to the point that he's like, oh, who's pastor so-and-so think he is, you know? And I had the wisdom at that time. I was like, you know what? He's the pastor. He's over you, man. Stay in rank. So, um, you know, grace unto it. What's cool about that Bible study that came out of Rockhurst is, is guys like Pastor Brad Nelson and, uh, and many others that I know that are in the ministry, they came out of that Bible study. So regardless of how delicately it was handled, if it was handled nicely or whatever, I believe in God's providence. That's exactly what God was wanting to do and that we just needed to submit. And so 
Uh, you just got to stay in your lane. If I'd have gotten mad and bitter and got upset about it, you know what? I'd have never been addicted to ministry. You just, well, where's the next battle? Let me go fight it. Evidently, God shut the door here, and I'll just go to the next one, which actually opened up a door to, to uh, basketball, which became a very fruitful ministry. The Trudes, the Trude dudes, they're not, they're not here. Jason Trude's not here, but Heather Trude was part of that, and we got to know some of the Trude family through that. I can remember uh, those days. Uh, but anyway, those sweet memories. All I'm saying is this. It, it starts in the heart. You've got to have the right heart. And uh, if you don't have the right heart, it's going to affect you. You're not going to be able to labor the way you need to. And you're not going to be able to honor the people that are laboring ahead of you. And you need to be able to do that in any situation. So perhaps you need to be looking for folks in this church who you can submit to. You'll find those who submit their lives to Christ as ministry addicts will be folks that you need to submit to. Salvation and baptism, membership, discipleship one. You hear all these terms around here. Uh, Ministry activities of all sorts. Discipleship two, HBI, all those type of things. Uh, that may or may not, well, salvation is God's will for your life. Baptism is God's will for your life. Learning the Bible is God's will for your life. But you know what? More, more importantly than, than just little steps on a, on a ladder, what you need to do is to find people that, you can help, that, that can help lead you in those steps. Whether it's just orienting you to this church, orienting you to what we believe, orienting you in the Word of God, people who you can follow in their footsteps because you know they're in. They're addicted to the ministry. And you know what? People that are addicted, that are addicted to the ministry, their tender heart is obvious uh, to those they serve. In verse, verses 15 through 18, let's read that without the parenthetical phrase. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied, for they have refreshed my spirit, and yours therefore acknowledge, <clears throat> and yours, therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. The ministry addict uh, benefits the body of Christ. What they do is they fill in the gaps in ministry that others fail to fill. Have you noticed that about ministry addicts? You know, look around the ministry of HBF, and you'll see those who are standing in the gaps. They're living sacrifices. They're giving their time, their talent, their treasure in advance uh, to the mission of God through the body of Christ. Often it's a sacrificial level, right? It's, you can see them serving like an addict would serve, right? You know an addict, right? they they got to get the next fix. They gotta, they'll, they'll sell anything to get to the next fix. Uh, someone in ministry is sacrificial. You see them giving up time. You see them giving up talent, vacation time. They're doing all kinds of, they're crazy because they love God and they love people. And you know what? It's, it's awesome. And they, it's obvious because they don't complain and they're addicted to this stuff. And they do it with great patience and great, and great joy. Ministry addicts stand in the gap and become pillars in the church in due time. They become what Paul talks about is these pillars that really form the foundation. They stand on the foundation of Christ and, and bring structure to a body that would otherwise be nebulous. All you'd have, all you'd have without these pillars is a big praise band. I mean, that's what a lot of churches are today. You get the best praise band, the biggest rock show you can, and hope everybody stays in there, right? And that's not the church. I mean, we are going to worship for all of eternity. That's great. But God has us here to accomplish his mission and his power. We've got to make disciples and get the message where it needs to go. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2 says, Fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We've got to be like-minded. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Those that are addicted to the ministry, that's basically the, the way they roll, is other people are better than them. They don't take the preeminence. They let other people, they, they put others ahead of themselves. So this is to be found in the DNA of HBF. All the way back in our reality number four, it says real ministers reproduce God's character. That's the character of Christ. That's why it's found in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 shares with us the mindset of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the content. And our fourth reality at HBF, is one of them is real ministers reproduce humble servants. You can't reproduce humble servants if you're not one. Real ministers reproduce submissive masters, right? If you're, if you're a, an overlording master and you, have no, you don't have a submissive attitude, then you know what? The folks aren't going to submit to you either. You're going you're gonna to be leading yourself because that's evident. HBF reality number five also says real ministers are drawn to real battles. You hear me talk about that. But what's that all about? Well, we prepare for adversity, right? We quit ourselves like men. Loving doesn't mean that we're not ready. It doesn't mean that we're not strong. And we share the victory. 
We give God the glory. We, we don't try to hog the glory. The ministry addict benefits the leadership of the church. That's what Paul's saying in verse 18. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. These guys have been a great benefit to the church. They've been a great benefit. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. Instead of worrying about who's following Apollos and who's following Paul, I'll tell you what, why don't you all acknowledge the house of Stephanus? Those are the folks we ought to be applauding. Those are the folks we ought to be appreciating because you know what? They're refreshing everybody. They're refreshing you and they're refreshing me. The church sent a delegation to Paul which, was prompted, which prompted him to write the second epistle, which is what we have as 1 Corinthians. And this delegation brought more than the problems of the ministry, which were many, but they brought the blessings to Paul and refreshed his soul. So ministry addicts, that's another attribute, is they are refreshing. Proverbs 25, 13 says, <clears throat> says, As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refresheth the soul of his masters. I love that passage. A faithful man who can find. But man, when you find one, it's like he's just refreshing. He's gonna, he, but you know why it's refreshing? Because you can depend upon them. They, they are not going to let you down. They're going to be faithful. That's why they always say, find someone who's busy if you want something done. Why? Because busy people that are faithful are faithful. And that doesn't mean you should overwhelm people. But the same word here uh, that is used for refresh is also used by Jesus. Uh, the same word used for refresh in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 um, is also used in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And what, as, you're, as you're looking at that, before I, I need to mention Proverbs 25, 25. It says, as the cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Man, isn't it good to hear a good word? It's easy to complain. I like to complain. You like to complain. We all like to complain. There's a lot to complain about. But man, there's really, we got some really sweet news that the world needs to hear. And it eclipses all the bad news. It really is the solution to all the problems. No matter what you think about an election, no matter what you think about a virus, no matter what you think about whatever. Truly, sounds like simple, but it's true. Jesus is enough. And he answers all the questions. And it's, man, there's some good news. Praise God. You can be refreshed today. You can be encouraged. Your, your cup can be filled up instead of drained out. And so the same word here that's used for refreshed <clears throat> is what Jesus says, rest, in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me in that great invitation. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you, <sighs> I'll give you rest. Yeah, learn of him. You know, sometimes we're not, we're not refreshing because we're not being refreshed. We're not really learning of him. We're not taking upon the yoke. Our, our yoke. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. The light of the word of God is what we need to be carrying around. Leaders need people in their lives that help fill their cup. And you can see how people like, that, that, like this encouraged our Lord, even in his public ministry. You remember when Jesus was in his public ministry, and this happened on more than one occasion, but in Matthew 8.10 he says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them, that followed, verily, verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. He's talking about a Gentile who said, Lord, just do what you, just, you got it. You gave me the promise, it's handled. He stops and says, whoa, somebody believes me. I haven't seen this kind of faith, not even among my people. It, it encouraged him. God will use faithful saints to fill your cup instead of depleting it. Remember when the issue of blood, uh, that lady with the issue of blood touched Jesus? the hem of his garment, right, and virtue came out of him. Right? There were things that were, were draining out of him. Ministry can be draining. There's no doubt about it. An empathetic minister needs people in his life who can bring joy and can refresh him. Because you know what? You can get depleted. So if you're feeling depleted, hey, Jesus had to sleep. Jesus had to get away. Jesus had to refresh. He was only human while he was human, right? While he had skin on. He was limited to being a human. And so he had to rest, he had to get sleep. So you know what, in addition to getting rest, getting sleep, making sure you take some vacation and all those things that you do need to do, make sure you resort to Jesus. He's the place where you're going to get your cup refilled and hang out with people that are like the house of Stephanus. So the last point I have is really quick and simple, and I've got to get through it. So addicted to ministry, right, or addicted to misery. Attributes of those addicted to ministry, we saw that uh, already, and now we've seen the actions of those that are addicted to ministry of the saints and let me just finish up by talking about the advantages, the advantage of being addicted to the ministry of the saints. Obviously, so you're not miserable. That's the whole title of this little series. You don't want to be miserable, but more than that, <clears throat> there's, some, there's some advantages of being addicted to the ministry of the saints. Point A, 
ministry addicts are not deterred from accomplishing God's mission. They're just not, they're just, they're just not deterred. They keep going. The house of Stephanus, Fortunatus, uh, Achaicus were not dissuaded or, de- or deterred from faithfulness like other carnal Christians at Corinth. If there, were, if there were three men that could have said, you know what, I quit. Then, you know, I literally, I've had people come to me and say, I quit this church uh, because someone wasn't nice to me in the foyer. And I said, I am so sorry. I didn't, I wish, I, but what am I going to do, you know? I can't help that. I can't go around making everybody smile in the foyer. What I, what I would hope, though, is that we could lend someone some, you know, someone in the foyer might have had a bad day. And that's, can you believe it? That's how petty it can get. Man, I tell you what, that's not addicted to the ministry. That's not even walking with Jesus. And so the house of Stephanus, Fortunatus, they weren't dissuaded or deterred from faithfulness. We had some stuff going on in Corinth that if you wanted a reason to leave, there's a good reason. Paul's like, if you don't kick them out, everybody in town is going to know you guys are a joke. Get those people out. That's what Paul told him. That guy having a relationship with his, his mother-in-law, even the world knows that's crazy, man. Get him out. And then in the second epistle, praise God, they repented and God was able to reconcile that. So that's a blessing. But man, you, you got to have some wisdom and discretion. That's the kind of stuff that was going on. But you didn't see these guys getting out of the ministry over it. They continued on. And I say that because Christian culture has become increasingly sensual and carnal over the past 70 years. It really has. The pendulum swings between license and legalism, and it's left many with a religion instead of a relationship with Christ. And all things are lawful, but the house of Stephanus engaged in those things that edified the body instead of those things which were expedient. So when I was a young baby Christian, I was greatly discouraged when I brought friends to my church and only to find out that the guy in the, in the church, one of the guys that was there, had been feeding one of my friends alcohol on the weekends. We were all underage, of course, at the time. I wanted to go up and throw punch the guy. I really did. I mean, in my flesh. But I'm thankful that the Lord allowed me grace. And I prayed about it. And I asked God to judge him and not me. And, be, and you know what? Because of faithful saints that surrounded me, like Stephanus and Fortunatus and uh, Achaicus, I was encouraged in the Lord and godly wisdom and judgment and i was talked off the edge you know what i'm saying and people settled me down and said let god deal with it let god deal with it just focus on your friend keep bringing him and that's what i did i ended up discipling that guy and uh that i brought not the guy that that was a rascal and uh, god took care of it in due time and he gave you know what you know the word of god takes care of it people know who are real and who are fake and in due time it'll all be made manifest plus god actually works in people's heart another thing i've learned it's just because someone starts carnal doesn't mean they finish carnal. And so you also got to give God time to work in people's lives. He doesn't always work in the same way in everybody's life. And so that's where I needed to be a little less judgmental. I was becoming a Pharisee, right? And I needed to relax. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk as you have us for an example. And we know in Romans, Paul also says, mark those, right, that cause divisions and schisms and all that. So, but Philippians 3 says, also mark those that, that walk like we walk. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, right? They fit that Jude description. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. They're, they're, they're not going to have any reward. Verse 20, for our conversation, right, our lifestyle, our lifestyle is in heaven. From whence also we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. At length, you know what? We have to have our attention focused above. Someone who's addicted to the ministry, they just, like James is up here, I can't wait to get to heaven. That sounds crazy to the world. But real Christians, you've got to have your hope above. Because as you can clearly see, there ain't a whole lot that's going to happen down here that's really going to satisfy you. Colossians chapter 3 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, if you're really saved, then seek those things which are above. Which, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Just in case you don't know what that means, we're talking about the third heaven, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Now, don't just, don't just seek them, right? Don't just seek after them, but then set your affection. Put your heart on those things. And we know, how do you do that? Well, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Not on the things of this earth. Where you invest your time, your talent, and your treasure is where your affections will lie. 
And so if the Chiefs lose, you know, it ruins your week. Hey, I'd like the Chiefs to win, but I ain't going to let it ruin my week. There's just too many other important things going on. My, my, my affection's in heaven. The Chiefs are a hobby. There ain't nothing eternal about what's going on down there. So we're also, ministry addicts are not defined by the careless nature of, of carnal Christians. I just touched on that. The church at Corinth is known as carnal, uh, but the house of Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, uh, Achaicus were noted as faithful, refreshing saints to the body. They were bodybuilders, as I've already noted. So that should bring us great comfort in the church age noted for failure in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. I'm not going to read it this morning. Most of you are familiar with it. But the reference is there if you need it, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. The neat thing about that passage is at the end there's overcomers. You can't overcome the spirit of this age. And there's all kinds of Old Testament examples of people who have been overcomers who have, in the midst of carnality, just risen up by God's grace and been an example of what it is to be addicted to the ministry, someone who follows Christ no matter what. And I'll just list a few of them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, Caleb, Gideon, Hannah, Samuel, David, Hezekiah, Josiah, and there's many, many more. Those are just some of my hit lists, the ones I really like to think about. But these are folks that stood in there. I didn't mention Daniel. I didn't ma- mention uh, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael. Those are some good ones I overlooked. There's a lot more. So ministry addicts are not destroyed. There's these that are examples of addicts in the Old Testament. I mean, they are, they are so focused on God that nothing can detour them. That doesn't mean they're sinlessly perfect, but they're focused. Ministry addicts are not destroyed. Ministry addicts avoid destruction from within. Ministry addicts guard their heart. You know, though Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, Paul knew that knowledge puffeth up. But charity edifieth. His heart was taken because he married too many wives. He allowed sin in his his heart, and it took him away. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If you're a ministry addict, you're going to be diligent about guarding your heart. You're not going to be loosey-goosey with sin. Ministry addicts avoid destruction from without as well. They walk circumspectly. You know, Paul says that in Ephesians 5, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Just what he was saying to the Corinthians, right? Someone who is prepared, somebody who is, is a watchful person, right? That's the way we roll. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible and you're in, and you're in this church, that is not, that's not because we're not offering you opportunity to learn it. Not just on the pulpit on Sunday. The best teaching you get at this church is going to be one-on-one in Discipleship 1. It's going to be in Discipleship 2. It's going to be in ministries. You do ministry with other people and you learn the Bible, whether it's just the, the milk of the Word or you continue to graduate up in the knowledge of the Word. But you also got to do the work. Right? That's why our Discipleship 2 is divided in not just the Word but also the work. Because if you don't work it out, you'll get puffed up. And you've got to put it into action. So redeeming the time is so important. We don't want to be unwise. We want to understand what the will of the Lord is. And we don't want to be drunk with wine, wearing his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You've got to praise God because you're going to spend eternity doing that. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's what I've been talking about. You know what submitting ourselves is? Is doing ministry together. Deferring to one another. Helping each other out so we can all accomplish the mission together. Just like a team. Just like an army. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they didn't think twice about the threat delivered by Nebuchadnezzar. When faced with the fiery furnace, and these dudes just said, hey, uh, we're not worried, king. It says in, the, in Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. He's telling him, if you don't do what I say, if you don't bow down and worship this image, I'm going to burn you in a fiery furnace. They said, well, okay. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve any gods nor worship any, uh, uh, the golden image which thou hast set up. You have to be committed to the Lord. And even more so as the days go forward. It makes people uncomfortable to think about people being addicted to anything today. But I'm telling you, unless you want your life to be miserable, uh, and especially eternity, you need to be addicted to the ministry. 
I can't make anyone be addicted to the ministry. I just don't want to be unaddicted myself. I want to be addicted to the ministry because I know me. If I'm not addicted to Jesus, I'm going to be addicted to something else that's going to take me away from God's glory. And that's going to have eternal results. And so ministry addicts are not concerned about getting the glory. I've already touched on that. Ministry addicts want God to get all the glory. In Corinth, there were people who were vying for prominence, but humbly submitting themselves to the will of God. I'm sorry, there were people vying for prominence, uh, but they weren't humbly submitting themselves to the word of God so God could receive the glory. These guys were. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and said, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Make sure that he is glorified. And lastly, ministry addicts are not easily offended. You know what Psalm says in 119 and verse 165? Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You know, there's just so many great attributes to being addicted to the ministry. There's so many things that, that are manifest in the actions of someone addicted to the ministry, and there are so many advantages to being addicted to the ministry. But, you know, what great advantage is it to be addicted to the ministry of the saints? Well, it's incredible. It has eternal implications. But to have peace in a troubled time, that's, that's very practical. Right now is a great time to have peace with God. It's a great time to be addicted to the ministry. It's a great time to offer peace to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors. So you might be going, well, then how can I be addicted how can I become an addict? Well, you know how, you know how, just like a few years ago, they got me started on this beef. You know what? They, first, they, for pastor appreciation, someone gave me some free beef. And next thing you know, I'm buying that stuff because I like it better than going to the store. They just give you a little. I'm not saying I'm addicted to beef, but I do like it. You know, a drug dealer, what is he going to do? Your first one? probably free, and give you a taste for it. And after you get a taste for it, then you, you, got, you become an addict, and you can't get off of it. Name your sin. Pornography, drugs, alcohol, whatever, gambling. You do a little, but now you can't stop yourself. You want to do a lot. Your flesh loves that stuff, whatever it is. Shopping cursing, whatever, you name it, I don't know, I don't want to think about all that, but listen, the Bible tells us in, in Psalms, taste and see, oh taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man that trusteth in him, you know what God wants you to do, it started like this for me, I, I was, I'm the most cynical person you ever met when it comes to the church, I'd be a perfect Gen X or Gen Z or whatever is going on right now, I was cynical. I didn't want anything to do with church. I didn't trust anybody, anything. But God just gave me a little taste of the gospel. And I finally believed it. I trusted in it. Just a little, little message. Jesus lived. I believed it finally. Jesus died. I believed it finally. Jesus rose again. I believed it finally. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for my sin. I'm a sinner. I believed it finally. I could actually receive forgiveness and grace. I believed it finally. I literally knelt down in faith, called upon the name of the Lord. Just a little message, just a little taste. And man, that, the gospel flooded my soul like the honeycomb. I can remember when I was a little boy, George Vinarsdale used to own the, the, the honey farm down in Sibley. I was about nine years old. Me and Jimmy Aring roll in there one day. And George takes us back in the back where the beehives were kept. And he pulls out a honeycomb. I've never had a honeycomb in my life. You know what he does? He takes out this dirty pocket, and I probably cleaned his fingernails. I don't know what he did with it. <clears throat> Nasty. I'm looking at this honeycomb. I, wasn't, I didn't really care for honey, and I didn't really, the honeycomb looked kind of gross. I was kind of like, whatever, man. But this old dude, he cuts off a corner of that honeycomb and puts it on his pocket knife and shoves it in my mouth. You know, what are you going to do? You're like nine years old. I take it in my mouth, you know, the wax and everything, and, Oh my goodness. I died and went to heaven. I was like, all my senses just like, this is awesome. Taste and see. In the Old Testament, Jonathan, man, all he needed was a little taste of honey, and it drove him into battle. Beloved, there is so much that the Lord offers us to encourage us to be addicted to the ministry, but you just got to taste a little. And the only way to do that is to really trust. Really, really trust what he says. You've got to trust his word. 
if you taste and see that the Lord is good, starting with salvation, it gets easy to be addicted to the ministry. You're going you're gonna to love serving God so much you can't get enough of it. There's a reason why this church is full of so many addicts. And I don't mean drug addicts. I mean ministry addicts. Because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Heavenly Father, we thank you.